Despite the tremendous conflict in Iraq, there have been many medical miracles. How are the doctors in the United States helping to provide care for Iraqi civilians caught in the enduring struggle? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and our guest today is Dr. Carla Christian, associate professor and associate chief of pediatric cardiac surgery at Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Christian recently performed surgery to correct a congenital heart defect in a young Iraqi girl found by Marines amid the ongoing conflict in Iraq and brought to the United States for care. Welcome, Dr. Christian. Thank you. Today we are discussing this young Iraqi girl's fight for survival. Certainly you operate all the time and do difficult cardiac procedures. Did you prepare in any special way? How do you prepare for something that is being scrutinized by the media, scrutinized by our government, in addition to your own perfectionistic ways, I'm sure, as most cardiac surgeons? Well, I'm fortunate having worked at Vanderbilt for 20 years to have a big portion of my team also have worked with me for many, many years. Some of them I've worked with for 17 years. And so we had our hand-picked team on the day that we did Amina's operation and ensured that everything would go very smoothly. The people I work with, I think, sometimes can read my mind, and it just makes for a very smooth operation. How did you prepare personally for this? I always try to be sure I get a good night's rest before every operation and try to start each operation, especially each big operation, first thing in the morning so that I'm well-rested and that the team's fresh and this operation was no different. How long did this procedure take? The actual operation itself took just over three hours and it went as well as you could ask for this particular operation to go. Well, tell me about it. Tell me about the procedure. The bidirectional Glenn shunt is an open cardiac procedure, meaning that we use the heart-lung bypass machine. And anatomically, it's pretty simple if you're just going to draw a picture. What we did was go on the bypass machine to support the circulation in the lungs and divide the superior vena cava inferior to where the azacus vein enters the superior vena cava because, as I mentioned previously, the azacus vein in this case carries the inferior vena cava blood from the lower body as well. Once you've divided the superior vena cava, you oversew the bottom side and then take the top side and sew that into the right pulmonary artery. So now you've got all the blue blood from the body that doesn't have oxygen coming back and going directly into the right pulmonary artery, at which point it can either go to the right lung or the left lung depending on the pulmonary artery pressure and the pulmonary artery vascular resistance. Now, thinking about a complex case like this, the amount of time that you spent in the operating room, really, I'm surprised, was so little. I expected six, seven, eight, nine hours. And that's the sweet thing about this operation. While it's a big operation and it's physiologically a big operation, technically it's pretty simple and pretty straightforward, assuming that you do everything perfectly and that there's no kinking, there's no distortion, that you don't cut anything too short or too long and that you do everything just right. And if you do everything just right, this is, to me, just about how long it should take. It's three hours. Additionally, we do the operation with an echo down the throat, uh, the TEE, so that we can check our work at the end to be sure that we're happy with everything. This particular operation didn't require the heart to be stopped so that at the end of the operation, 
the heart function actually looked quite good and, in fact, looked better at the end of the operation than it did at the start, and that was a function of increased oxygenation going to the heart at the end of the case versus at the start of the operation. Now, why did you not have to stop the heart? Because we never were working inside the heart, so there was no reason to stop the heart. All the work we did was outside the heart, working on the superior vena cava and the pulmonary arteries. The reason to stop the heart would have been if we had to close a hole in the heart or make a hole in the heart or work on a heart valve, then we would have had to stop the heart. But in this particular case, there was no reason to stop the heart. So the heart never went without oxygen, and so we just let the heart beat the whole time. Did you encounter anything unexpected during the surgery? No, because of our extensive workup we did before we went to the operating room. So everything was just as planned. And normally, this defect is diagnosed near birth. How did the fact that she was older change the procedure itself? It didn't necessarily change it, other than we would have potentially, obviously, been following her more closely as she grew and developed. We probably would have operated on her when she was younger and not let her get as blue as she was. When we saw her in the clinic on the day we first met her, her saturations were 23%, which is very life-threatening. And then with resuscitation, we were able to get her saturations into the 60 to 70% range, which is still critically low. On the day of her operation in the operating room, her saturations were in the 60s and 70s, and at the end of the operation, they were in the low 90s. So we took a child that was very blue at the start of the morning and three hours later had a child that was near normal in terms of color, you know, turned a blue child into a pink child. So it was very rewarding for the whole team. That's wonderful. Did you have any media in the operating room at the time? We had Vanderbilt's media people, and they were doing some filming and some photography. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Carla Christian, associate professor and associate chief of pediatric cardiac surgery at the Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt University. We are discussing a young Iraqi girl's fight for survival. Dr. Christian, how did this child do immediately postoperatively? She did wonderfully after the operation. After her three-hour operation, she went up to pediatric intensive care where she was managed by the pediatric critical care doctors and the cardiologists in addition to myself. She was in intensive care for a period of two days where she did well and then went to a regular room for another two days and then we discharged her the fourth day after operation. Four days after operation, she went home. She went home looking great. That is absolutely incredible. Do all children who have this type of complex operations respond as rapidly as this young child? In a perfect world, the answer is yes, but in a real world, the answer is no. Were there any things that happened postoperatively that perhaps made you worry? The only tiny setback she had was on the first day after her operation. She had a small fever, which is not unusual after open-heart surgery, and it wasn't a big cause for concern, and that's to be expected. Presumably, the source was in her lungs just from not taking big breaths. She also had a good-sized right pneumothorax just from the operation, and that required a pigtail catheter for drainage and re-expansion of the lung, and that came out the following day, and that was a very minor complication. And what was the reaction of the mother to all this? The mother was very happy and hugged me and kissed me when I went out after the operation to tell her things had gone well, and she continued to be very appreciative throughout the hospital stay. Now, when this child went home, I presume they went home to that same host family that was preoperative? And how often did you see this child at that point? 
Actually, I saw the child a week ago, and I saw the child again today. And on both occasions, we've gotten follow-up chest x-rays to be sure things look good. And she continues to have an excellent-looking chest x-ray with no pleural effusions. Her saturations are running approximately 88% on room air, which is a huge improvement for her and one that she can live the rest of her life with saturations of 88%. So when we talk about the rest of her life, what are we saying in terms of her prognosis? We would hope she would have a long, full life. Now, in people with congenital heart disease, it's always hard to know exactly what that means, especially when we say she's going back to Iraq with limited access to medical care. Well, will this child be able to run around and do sports and be active? Absolutely. Well, what would happen if this child never received surgery? It was our cardiologist determination that she had less than six months to live. And usually the cause of death in that situation would be what? would be gradually diminishing pulmonary blood flow, which was where she was already at. So she would have just died at some point from a tet type of spell, even though in the pure sense she didn't have tetralogy of flow. Now, how did the media deal with her leaving the hospital and doing so well? Did they overwhelm her? Did they overwhelm you? They didn't overwhelm me. I was in the operating room the day she was discharged, so I don't know to what degree she was filmed leaving the hospital. But She's going to see me one more time before she goes back to Iraq. And who will follow her in Iraq? We've made arrangements for her to have access to baby aspirin for the next couple of years and also to have Lasix for the next couple of years, but she shouldn't need Lasix really more than another probably couple of months. Won't she need routine echocardiograms, routine EKGs, routine chest x-rays? No, we're not planning on routine echoes or necessarily routine EKGs. I believe we've got it set up where she can get a chest x-ray if she needs one. And I've counseled the mother extensively about the importance of avoiding high-sodium foods for the next couple of months. That's her most significant risk factor. Now, do you have a specific physician in Iraq who you are communicating with? I've been communicating with Dr. Nadeau. He's my point person. And Dr. Nadeau, being from Vanderbilt and an American, is he communicating with someone a physician that is in Iraq, when he leaves Iraq, that this child will still be cared for appropriately. Yes, I'm not sure what those arrangements are, but our plan is to make her be such that she will do well even without medical care. Do you think that this wonderful experience will have other children or adults in Iraq want to come to the United States and do the same type of thing that you did for this young child? I'm sure that there is some of that out there, no question, and I know there's a great need for that, undoubtedly. I've personally gotten one email from an Iraqi person here in the United States that has a niece that's in Iraq that he would like to get over here so that we could evaluate and possibly treat the child. And will you be able to do something similarly? Well, the big concern always with any patient is what's the diagnosis, and not every person with a heart defect is operable. In this particular case, we were fortunate that not having any information that when she showed up, she did have a defect that we could fix. Well, what would you have done if this would not have been operable? We would have just had to send her back. Well, fortunate for everyone that she was operable. Certainly, this is a great example of medical diplomacy. How do you think this will affect the Iraqi-United States relationship? I would hope very much that it will help improve relations and let the Iraqi people know that we care about them as a people and that we're trying to help their country. Do you think that the Iraqi people will learn of this event? I hope so. And is there anything that you wish would have happened 
that didn't happen? No, overall, I think the Marines did an outstanding job getting her here. I think the State Department clearly were very instrumental in facilitating the legal channels and the paperwork, both with the Iraqi government and with our own government. I think overall, we were very fortunate that she survived the 24 hours of travel to get to Vanderbilt, now knowing what her underlying defect was. But overall, things couldn't have gone better than they've gone. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Carla Christian. We have been discussing this young Iraqi girl's fight for survival. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website, www.reachmd.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.